if it keeps snowing, uh, instead of a chilly contest, we'll have a sledding contest after church. Um, David Whitaker will be first. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, show us how your abundant love and grace fills our lives right now. Amen. Maybe you heard the tired, the exhaustion in Peter's voice this morning as Jolene was reading. Master, we've worked all night, but we've caught nothing. Peter and the others are fishermen. They do that not for sport, but that's their livelihood. It has probably been their livelihood since they were kids. Catching fish is what they did to put bread on the table. It's what they did to put bread on the table of the whole community. Catching fish was what they used to pay the oppressive taxes that the Romans would levy on them. That night, though, they had caught nothing. They're cleaning their nets, and I'm sure that they were ready to just wipe this day off and go to bed. But then, here comes Jesus. At first, Jesus asked Peter if he will get in his boat and, and, and row Peter out, I mean, rode Jesus out a little bit so Jesus could address the crowd. You see, lately there's been a great crowd following Jesus. It's a lot different than how it was last week. If you were here last week, maybe you remember Jesus had gone to his, his hometown in Nazareth, gone to the synagogue there to, to teach and to preach. And he got up and he read scripture and then he sat down and everybody really loved him. And then he started talking some more. And long story short... They took Jesus out to the cliff at the edge of town and they were going to throw him off because they were so mad at him. They wanted to kill him. And it said that Jesus somehow walked away in the midst of them. Things got better, though. He left Nazareth. He went to this, uh, another place not far away called Capernaum. It was a fishing village on the Sea of Galilee, also called the Lake of Genesaret. And while he was there, he healed people who had been sick with different things. He also cast out a few demons. So, of course, people started to come out because they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. That's why Jesus asked Peter if he could get in his boat and go out a little bit so that he could speak to more people and they could hear him. Now, Peter and Jesus had a connection already. We, it's not in our text today. It's right before our text today. It seems that Jesus had gone to the house of Peter in Capernaum. And, and while he was there, um, well, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. Jesus healed her of that fever, and then the mother-in-law fed him supper. So Jesus and Peter knew each other. Maybe that's why Jesus said, okay, I'll, even though I'm ready to go to bed, I'll take you out in this boat so you can teach the people. Now, what we never read is what Jesus actually taught that day. Because really the focus of the story today is on the conversation that Jesus and Peter have. And actually, if you were to compare, this story is also in Matthew and in Mark's gospel. And if you would compare Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would see that Luke talks, his focus is on Peter. Whereas in Matthew and Mark, the focus is equally divided among James and John, who were barely even mentioned in this story, and also Peter's brother Andrew. Andrew's not even mentioned in the story today because Luke wants to focus on Peter. 
said that when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And that's when we hear the exhaustion in Peter's reply. Simon answered him, and Luke calls him Simon, he calls him Simon Peter, and he calls him Peter. He's got lots of names. Simon answered him, Master, we've worked all night long. We've caught nothing. Remember, Peter's already um, got the nets all cleaned up. He was ready to go to bed in the first place, and he, he actually had already delayed that by going out in the boat with Jesus already. But instead of saying no, Peter says, yet if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Why does he agree to do that when I'm sure he was ready to go to bed? Maybe he did it as a favor for Jesus, because after all, Jesus had healed his own mother-in-law. Or would that be a bad thing to do? Just kidding. But I really don't think that Peter had any expectation that this was going to matter. You see, Jesus had done a lot of really cool things, and I'm sure that Peter had heard about it. I mean, he had seen his mother-in-law be healed. Jesus had healed other people. Jesus even cast out demons. And people were coming to hear him teach, and they were really awed by his teaching. And, and Peter knew all that, and Peter was aware of that, and Peter was impressed by that, I'm sure. But now Jesus is talking about what Peter knows. Peter had been fishing these waters since he was a kid. And he had been fishing all night long and had caught nothing. And here comes Jesus, who's not a fisherman, who's not even from there. And he wants Peter to throw out the nets. Same nets, same boat, do the very same thing that Peter had been doing all night with no results. Master, we've worked all night long. Caught nothing. And I wonder if Peter sighed for a second then. He said, Yeah, if you say so, okay. We'll throw down the nets. Now we read what happens next. It's a story of overwhelming abundance. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, maybe you remember that story, that really cool story of when Jesus turns water into lots and lots and lots of really, really good wine. This is another story of overwhelming abundance. Instead of wine, this time it's fish. Something unbelievable has happened. I mean, the abundance is such that not only do the nets begin to break, and these are nets that were used all the time, so these were tough nets. The nets begin to break. Um, there were so many fish that Peter had to call the other boat to come out and help. And not only did the other boat have to come out to help, that when the fish started going into the boats, that both the boats began to sink. Something has happened. Peter can't understand it, but Peter knows that Jesus must have been the source of this overwhelming abundance. Might we call this a life-changing experience? Actually, we can call it that because last week in our faith formation class, somebody called it that. So yeah, we can. And about that life-changing experience, in response, we see that Peter falls at Jesus' feet and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. 
Maybe he did that because he must have doubted that Jesus could do that. But I really think it's much deeper than that. I think that Peter recognizes that this man, Jesus, is more than a man. He's more than a healer. He's more than a good teacher. He is something more than just what Peter knows. And he's unworthy to be in front of him. It reminds me of the story of Isaiah in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was in the temple and all of a sudden the presence of God is there. And God is surrounded by all these angels and the angels are singing praise to God. And the first thing that Isaiah says is, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I think like Isaiah, Peter is overwhelmed to be in the presence of this person who is beyond his ability to understand, even though he has seen this wonderful abundance right in front of his eyes. He's overcome by a sense of awe, of fear, knowing that Jesus is just more than who he thought he was, and he's not worthy to be in this moment. But in response... Jesus does what God always does, and God's messengers always do. When people react out of fear to be in the presence of the holy, it's already happened twice in Luke's gospel. The first time it happens when Mary is approached by the angel. It happens again when the, another angels approach the, the shepherds who have been out uh, tending their flocks by night. Both times, both of these folks are afraid, and both times... The messengers of God say the same thing that Jesus says. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. That phrase is used like 120 times in Scripture. Now, of course, and I've said this a bunch of times, and some of y'all will know it even now as I mention it. Whenever God or God's messenger says, do not be afraid, that means to be very, very afraid. And the reason why it is about being very, very afraid, because life will never be the same again. All that we think life is about, all of our assumptions of life, all of our goals in life are all going to be challenged and turned upside down because we have come into some awareness of the grace and love and mercy of God. Nothing will ever be the same, so of course... We're going to be afraid. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching people. And then our story closes with Peter and also James and John who get thrown in. And then poor Andrew, who Luke doesn't even bother to mention. It says at the end of our story, when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. They leave everything and follow. Nothing will ever be the same again. And I think when we fellow followers of Jesus read this story of Jesus calling Peter, we realize this story isn't just to Peter. It's a story to us as well. It's a call to us. We who have experienced something of the wonder the joy, the blessing of, of God's grace and God's care for us, God's compassion of us, 
Those of us who have some sense of experiencing that, we're always being called to share something of that grace and that love and the lives we live. And we do that by following in the way of Jesus. It's a way that will turn our lives upside down because we're not in control anymore. Think about it. We follow someone who will control our life now. How can we not be afraid? But even as we're being told to follow or called to follow, Jesus keeps saying, don't be afraid. See, there's times when following Jesus will be very hard. And I must say that if, you ever, if you've never experienced a sense when the call of Jesus is hard, maybe you need to rethink your sense of how God calls you. After all, the way of Jesus got him killed. Following the way of Jesus will be hard. There'll be many times when we don't want to do it. I know that's true for me. There'll be many times when we don't understand what in the world Jesus wants of us. There'll be many times that we fail and fail miserably at it. Of course, we won't be the only ones like that. Peter gives us a good example of somebody who fails miserably, who says, Jesus, I'll never leave your side. And then he's the one we read about denying Jesus. So, of course, because it's so life-changing and sometimes hard, yet a great blessing, we might be afraid, but we're still being called. Now, for Peter and the fishermen, following Jesus meant walking away from their very vocations, taking up something brand new. But notice how Jesus speaks of the new life that they're going to have. Jesus doesn't say, fellas, I want you to come with me and I'm going to make you teachers. Fellas, I want you to come follow me. I'm going to make you preachers. God, I hope not. Jesus, uh, guys, y'all come follow me and I'm going to do something. No, what he says is he speaks in the metaphors of being a fisherman. I will make you catchers of people. <coughs> I think what Jesus is doing there is saying he wants them and he wants us to use what we know. To use what we are gifted and talented at, what we've experienced what we have a passion for, but now use that in following Jesus. I don't know that that means to quit our jobs, but I do think it means practicing being followers of Jesus even as we do our job or live our lives every day. I think what Jesus intends for us as people who have experienced something of His grace is to engage our gifts and passions in sharing that grace in some way in the lives we live every day. This past week, I got to spend a couple days at one of my favorite places, the Abbey of Gethsemane. I came across a book while I was there. The book is called Thomas Merton Peacemaker by John Deere. And that's D-E-A-R, not John Deere the tractor John Deere, just to let you know. Thomas Merton was the most famous monk who lived at Gethsemane. And in the book, Deere's talking about how we as Christians are called to live as peacemakers in our world. But then he says that we're not all going to be the same in how we go about doing that. And certainly not Thomas Merton, the famous monk that he was. Here's what Deere says. Thank God we don't all have to be monks or hermits. 
We can fall in love, marry, have children, make friends, travel the world, belong to a church, struggle for peace and justice with a local group, enjoy concerts and movies and the arts, serve the needy and live life to the full in a million ways. But Thomas Merton reminds us to go through it all with God. To live deliberately with God, to be conscious of God, to set God first and foremost in our lives. In other words, to let God lead us so that God will make us catchers of people, all through God's grace and love. Now I have a question for us today, and since we're all going to be eating together, we don't have to be out at any certain time, so we've got a couple more hours, Mr. Banks. How might Jesus be wanting you to be a catcher of people? And by catching, I mean by you sharing something of how you have experienced God's love in the way you live among other people. Here's what I'm going to do. Ben's going to put on our screen. This is the text that Jesus read last week when he was at his hometown synagogue. It's from the book of Isaiah. And at first the people liked it. Then later on they really hated it. That's when they wanted to kill him. I'm going to read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The poor. Poor because of what they lack. And that might mean financially poor. The captives, whoever that is that might be imprisoned, imprisoned by pain, by heartache, by sin, the blind, those who can't see. Perhaps they can't see the love of God in the world or in the lives that they live. The oppressed, those who have been pushed down for whatever reason, maybe it's the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their gender, their age, whatever. Here's the question. How might you be a catcher of someone in this week who is poor or captive or blind or oppressed in this week in the life that you live?